Let us pray. So, Father, we do indeed pray that you would still our souls and that we would find our rest and our peace and our trust in you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you this morning. And um, I just want to thank Stephen. I embarrass him here, but he's, he's battling a cold and he's doing such a wonderful job leading our music. Can we just express appreciation to him? Stephen, thanks for pushing through this morning. So I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them as we continue in our series on the Beatitudes. And I'm turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 8. Today we're looking at the sixth Beatitude or blessing given by Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. And we're talking about purity. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So when you think of purity, what comes to mind? You can think of all kinds of things like gold or precious metals or clean water. Um, those of you that are old enough to remember once upon a time, um, there was an advertisement for ivory soap. Some of you younger kids might not even know what ivory soap is. Um, but it was said ivory soap, 99 and 44 one hundredths percent pure. Does anybody remember that? Yes. And yes, and Pete, it floats. That's correct. It's the only soap that floats. And that, was, that segues right to my next comment, which really has nothing to do with, with purity, but it came to mind as I was working on this sermon. My dad's parents have been gone um, for a really, really long time, my paternal grandparents. But they would have been courting in the late 1920s. And after my grandfather died, we were going through all of their stuff and found some letters he'd written to my grandmother when they were courting, and he would sign the letters, love until ivory soap sinks. <laughs> we can also think of purity in terms, in human terms, such as a bride on her wedding day. I think also often our minds go to externals, and like many of the Beatitudes, the concept of purity can very easily, if we're not careful, bring to mind a set of rules and regulations of do's and don'ts, which we try to conform to through our own human efforts. We may even think of self-denial or extreme forms of that with wrong or misdirected motivations. The fact is, Jesus had a great deal to say about purity and about being pure in the Gospels, both in terms of how it is realized what true godly purity is, and what it looks like when lived out. Purity is a subject which we see Jesus repeatedly teaching on as we study the Sermon on the Mount materials found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So today as we look at this beatitude, there are four related truths which I want to explore. The first one is this. Purity comes through Jesus Christ. Purity comes through Jesus Christ. The Danish theologian and philosopher of the 19th century, Soren Kierkegaard, said it this way, quoting James chapter 4, verse 8. Kierkegaard says, Purity of heart is to will one thing. And then James 4, 8, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then he continues. Only the pure in heart can see God and therefore draw near to him. And only by God's drawing near to the pure in heart can they maintain this purity. Purity of heart begins with and comes through Jesus Christ. And like all of the Beatitudes, it is only made a reality for each of us through a personal living relationship with him. It comes by knowing Christ as Lord and Savior and walking in intimate fellowship with him. Now, I'm well aware of the fact that as we've been looking at this series of the Beatitudes, the first point of each of my sermons has been very similar, emphasizing Jesus as the starting place. And that's not simply to be redundant. Rather, it drives home a critical truth that we must understand. None of these truths of the kingdom which Jesus speaks about here can be known, experienced, or lived out by us except by the presence and power of God working in our lives. Oh, I am well aware that there are some people who try to live their entire lives with the goal of accomplishing these things and living these things that we're talking about here in the Beatitudes out in their own strength. But that is absolute futility. That was the Apostle Paul's story before he was radically transformed by his encounter with Jesus. And speaking of all those things that came before that transformative encounter in Philippians 3.8, he says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as, as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ trying to achieve purity through our own efforts and apart from knowing Jesus is impossible. Isaiah 64 reminds us, we all have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment or as some translations say, filthy rags. Jesus Christ makes us pure through his work on the cross and the continuing cleansing and renewal he offers to us who fully trust him as we walk with him and he continues his good and gracious work in our lives. When we know him, he gives us the power to live and walk in purity, even right now, in very real and practical ways. Purity comes through Jesus Christ. Second, purity begins on the inside. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. When Jesus speaks of the heart, or when the heart is spoken of in other portions of the Bible, obviously it isn't speaking of our physical heart, that organ that pumps blood throughout our body, but rather the heart speaks figuratively of the very center or essence of our being. It refers to the core of a person, that place from which we feel and think and determine our actions and our choices. And apart from Jesus Christ, we are sinful to the core. Our hearts are wicked, desiring ungodly things and full of selfishness. And it's not me saying that. This is what the Bible, this is what God's word says. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
And in Matthew 15, verse 19, Jesus himself says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That is who we are. This is the state of our heart apart from a living relationship with Christ and God's transforming power at work in our lives. But there is wonderful news here because God doesn't leave us without hope and it is not God's heart and will to leave us in that state. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 reminds us, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And then Ezekiel 36 tells us, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is precisely what God does for us when we trust Christ as Savior. He begins and transforms us to the very core, to the essence of our being. <clears throat> and he, God himself, gives us a new heart and a new way of being. He gives us new motives and new passions and a bent to do his will rather than our will, a bent to obey God rather than sinning, which was our old nature. He gives us the power to live righteous lives rather than continuing to walk in sin and depravity. As 2 Corinthians chapter 1 reminds us, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. John Wesley, who I, I quote and talk about so often, was known in his early years, along with his brother Charles, when they were students at Oxford University, for what was known as the Holy Club. And it was a group of students who were very committed to living an obedient and austere life. And this is where, as the founders of the Methodist movement, that was a renewal movement originally within the Church of England, um, the word Methodist came from, by their methods. But a few years after his graduation from Oxford, after Wesley was already a priest in the Church of England, he traveled for several years to Georgia as a missionary to the Indians, to the Native Americans. And that was an utter failure um, by his own admission. And coming back from that journey, he was on a ship um, with Christians, Moravian Christians, who were part of the pietist movement in, in Germany at the time. And he was um, struck by their fearlessness and their depth of confidence in God when the ship was caught in a horrific storm and they thought they were going to be lost at sea. And on Tuesday, January 24th, 1738, in his journal, Wesley wrote these words. I went to America to convert the Indians, but, ooh, oh, but oh, who shall convert me? Who? What is he that will deliver me from this evil heart of mischief? I have a fair summer religion. I can talk well, nay, and believe myself while no danger is near. But let death look me in the face, and my spirit is troubled. Nor can I say to die is gain. And the rest of the story was that both Charles, his brother, and he, that spring in separate um, instances, experienced a prof profound 
conversion of heart. In Wesley's case at Aldersgate Street, when he went out that May to hear a reading of the preface of Martin Luther's epistle to the book of Romans, publicly read um, in London. And he got it because it wasn't what he could conjure up or what he could um, force his flesh to submit to. Rather, it was about a gracious living walk with Christ. Purity, being pure in heart, begins with God's transforming power working from the inside out. Just like John Wesley, we can't do it our own. It requires God working in us and our surrendering to his work and his purposes and will in our lives. Purity begins on the inside. Third, purity is reflected by our choices. We must never confuse purity of heart with outward appearance or outward or external conformity because the fact is what is on the surface can be deceiving. Um, Several years ago now, I was involved with the removal of a large maple tree that had some dead lids on it. It was dying on the outside a little bit. Um, but it, and the trunk at the base was about five feet in diameter. It was a huge tree. Um, Jason, could you put up, or Miles, someone back there, put up. But when we cut the tree down, again, that's about five feet in diameter. Look at the inside of that tree trunk. There was nothing there. I mean, nothing but pulp. And I remember saying to Tim, if that tree would have ever started to go, it would have just imploded and probably hurt somebody really bad because it was really tall as well. But I think that is a good illustration that, you know, we can have it all together on the outside and be rotten in the core, apart from God's transforming power. And we can't base things on what we see simply with externals. But the truth is that when God transforms us, the inward transformation he supernaturally brings about begins on the inside, but it will be demonstrated on the outside as well. Why? Because of God's work and because we stand in integrity before God through Jesus Christ. And by God's work in us, our behaviors and our choices will grow to be more and more consistent with God's character. In Matthew 7, verse 16, Jesus says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. For the believer, for those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, we have an obligation, brothers and sisters. We are empowered by God to not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, to make right, good, godly choices. In Romans chapter 8, St. Paul reminds us, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ or belong to Him. And they continue a little further. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When we consider purity of heart, it really must lead by the Spirit of God to introspection, even what I would call either an interrogation of self or an examination of conscience, where we ask God to search our hearts and we consider our hearts and our actions and we ask questions of ourselves, even hard and awkward questions, such as where do my thoughts go when my mind slips into neutral? What do I watch on television, on the computer, or listen to on the radio when nobody else is around? Are my words, is my speech completely honest, even when it's not convenient or expedient? <clears throat> Are my interactions and relationships with those around me motivated by a desire to honor Christ and to bless those people? Or is there some deep underlying motivation which really is selfish that drives those actions? How about my speech? Is it seasoned with grace? Or is it harsh? Or maybe even is it coarse and off color when that seems to help me fit in in the public sector or in the workplace? Where do my strongest allegiances lie? What are the most important things in my life and the life of my family? Not based on what sounds right or what I know to say, but based on my choices how I spend my time and money and talents and gifts and resources. When I am nice to someone or do something that is outwardly good, are there any self-serving motivations? Even as simple as simply wanting someone else to think well of me. These are hard, awkward, convicting questions for every single one of us, including me, to weigh. But we must examine our hearts and ask the Spirit of God to search our hearts so that we can seek and experience God's ongoing transformation in our lives, being conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. Speaking of the Christian who is seeking to live pure, D.A. Carson in his book on the Sermon on the Mount that I've quoted so extensively in this series says this, knowing himself to be in the kingdom already, he is concerned with purity because he recognizes that the king is pure and the kingdom in its perfected form will only admit purity. The kind of purity that Jesus speaks of here in the Beatitudes demands choices and our choices reflect who we belong to. It brings us to the very heart of the matter and it also brings us right back to where we started because purity of heart is about choosing Jesus. Choosing Jesus Christ in every circumstance, in every situation we face. Yes, choosing him over that which is overtly or blatantly evil, but also choosing him over good in terms of our own good or so-called good choices that we make merely with human logic and in the strength of our flesh, which is really weakness. Sometimes if we trust our flesh, that which seems logical and reasonable 
and perhaps even the easier path, might not be at all what God is calling us to do. It may not be the path or the way of obedience. Purity is about a life wholly surrendered to Jesus. A heart and life in which he has the sole and exclusive rule. It's a life that is characterized by not thinking in human terms or merely from an earthly perspective. It's not about following our human conscience alone, somehow divorced from God and the voice of the Holy Spirit, but it's about the rule of Jesus Christ in our lives, and that trumps everything, including our own fleshly whims or our conscience apart from the voice of the Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writing on this verse, put it this way. A pure heart is pure of good and evil. Did you hear that? A pure heart is pure of good and evil. It belongs entirely and undivided to Christ. It looks only to him. Purity involves choices. But the real and ultimate choice once and in every instance is Jesus. Because if we seek him, he will lead us to choose and to walk in his will. He will lead us to be reformed into the imagio Dei, more fully into the image of God, conformed to God's image and God's character and all that we are. And then fourth and finally, purity is not optional. <clears throat> it's not optional. If we're going to see God, that's what Jesus says. This beatitude is very closely tied to Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6, where we read, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob." We indeed can see God in one sense, in a very real sense, right here, right now, as we grow in purity, as we gain a deeper understanding and perception of his will and his ways and his purposes in our lives. And as he works in the lives of those around us, we grow more keenly attuned to his presence and working. We become very much more keenly attuned to the voice of the Spirit and what God is doing. And the fact is this, brothers and sisters, the deeper our fellowship with God, the deeper our purity and the deeper our understanding of his ways will be. A number of years ago, we went to Lake Tahoe with um, Tammy's parents and his, her brother and his family. Have any of you, who in here has been to Lake Tahoe? A few of you have been to Lake, we have more people in first service that have been to Lake Tahoe than second service. Um, but it's my only time that, the only time that I've been there. But the thing that struck me about Lake Tahoe was the clarity and the purity of the water. It's absolutely astounding. Um, and one of the things, having grown up on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, um, I was amazed at all these wooden speedboats with, with varnished finishes. You don't see that 
in the Chesapeake Bay or in most waters very often because the wood just doesn't hold up because of all the bacteria in the water. But because Lake Tahoe is so pure, you would see all these wooden speedboats docked there that were just pristine. And I was just astounded because they're, if you're into boats at all, they're absolutely beautiful to look at. But there was another thing that struck me as well because we were standing on a dock one day and I realized all of a sudden that the water was about 12 feet deep. But it was so clear that there was a log on the floor of the lake by the dock. And even with 12 feet of water, I could see that, that log like I was looking through a glass. It was just amazing, the detail that you could see. Because the water was pure. And the same is true as we grow in Christ and in his purity. The, the further we go in Christ and the deeper we go in understanding his ways, the more deeply and the more clearly we see the heart and the will and the purity of God and its application in our lives. If we want to see Jesus in all of his glory, it requires purity. Knowing his purity as he gives it to us as a reality in our lives and then walking in it. Remember, as I've said throughout this series on the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes give us a picture of how kingdom-ready people live, people that are ready for the fullness of Christ's kingdom, which raises the question for each of us, are you and I ready? Are you and I ready in Christ? Again, to quote Kierkegaard, purity of heart is to will one thing. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Are we ready to will one thing? To come near to God, to draw closer to God and experience his work and his purity in our lives in ever-increasing measure. And if we are the promise of Jesus we read here will absolutely be true. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your transforming power. That even in our lost state, depravity and wickedness, you offer and will to give us new life. You will to take that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh and to put your spirit within us. So Lord, cleanse us even now. Purify us even now from the very core of our being. Lord, show us those places where we need to repent, where we need your purifying work in ever greater measure. And Lord, take us, take each of us and all of us more deeply into you so that we will only one thing, so that we desire Jesus above all else. And as you purify us, Lord, let us shine as gold. Let us shine with the character of Christ so that all may see and come to know him. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.